I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Eric Abel from Focus Noise. You're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. We're back with a new episode today featuring my man, Eric Abel. He's a booking agent for folks like Bone Thugs, DJ Quick. He put together the Dilla Weekend Festival, the Snoop Dogg Puff Puff Pass Tour, all kind of stuff. He's putting hip-hop shows in your area. He's also a DJ. He's got his own radio show, and he's going to tell us some great stories about his journey from being a rapper with the group Animal Farm out of Portland, some of you might be f- familiar with, to uh, making his way behind the scenes in the music business. Um, he's got some great lessons in how to avoid carrying people on your back who maybe aren't as motivated as you are. Um, talk us through kind of the ups and downs of being a big fish in a small pond, coming from Portland to, uh, to moving to LA and trying to swim with the sharks. Check it out here on Rebel Radio right after our EDM.com track of the week.
Yo, that's a different one. I hope you liked it. I thought it was kind of fresh. That was Asadi with a track called Throne, our EDM.com track of the week. If you like that, go to SoundCloud.com. Check out more just like it. And now let's get into our interview with Eric Abel. Well, dude, thanks for doing this, man. I'm yeah. excited to talk to you. Um, you know, I know Lee. Lee's excited that we're having you on. Yeah, yeah, I've known Lee for a long time. He's yeah. trying to like big up Portland through the podcast. So yeah, <laughs> um, no, it's good stuff. And uh, and I, you know, I like people having people on that are that have a lot of jobs or or have like moved that's, around. That's been me. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Um, so I'm learning. So. Um, so yeah, I want I want to talk about it. So you, you were an artist, uh, now booking agent, DJ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I started out DJing and then producing, then right MCing. Yeah, then like started my own little indie label and right. got distribution and like learned basically learned to do everything just because mm-hmm. out of necessity. You know? So, so how I, I want to start kind of at the beginning. How did it all get started? How did you first even get into music as a fan? Uh, I got into music, I would say, I was like a pure hip-hop head. Um, well, so what? So what's the beginning? Like, do you remember the first record that, like, you that you bought or the it, first record that I really remember, impacted you? I remember A Tribe Called Quest just being like, like, I remember liking their first album, but when I, like, when I saw the Check the Rhyme video, yeah. I remember just being like, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was like, I want to do that, whatever yeah. that is. You know, how, like, how old are you at that point? I guess I was like, like I guess I was, I guess I was uh, 14. Okay. So I was like 91. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like, as I got more into hip hop at that point, I think I got. It didn't always have a positive influence on me. Sure. Um, but it kind of shaped who I became, yeah. and uh, it definitely shaped my career. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I could I could attribute it specifically to a tribe called Quest, just kind of piquing my interest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it it just kind of everything else. And so then, just did happened. you start DJing? Right away after that, or no? Okay, so I actually I went away to college. Okay, um, in Pennsylvania, and uh, it was like Amish country. It was Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. small school, and I learned to DJ on the air on the radio station. Oh, cool! I taught myself. Yeah, I'm sure it was awful. Like basically, we had two turntables set up on one side, and yeah. then there was like some old kind of switchboard, mm-hmm. like with toggles. Mm-hmm. So I learned by like no mixer. I just right. was like flipping the toggle switch and learning yeah. to scratch. But I had like the seven to nine slot on a Friday. And right. so, and, and back then everyone serviced college radio. So you had yeah. like everything coming out. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just taught myself on there and I DJed fraternity parties. And mm-hmm. um, then I started getting into production from there. So when you, was there a moment you remember when you felt good? Good about what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Like you felt like you got this now. I think I was just enjoying it. You yeah. know, I was just enjoying the fact that I was, you know, rocking parties and creating and 
you know, that that was just a good feeling. That Do you remember the first party you played? No, I can't remember no. that. No. Um, but a lot of college was a haze, so. Sure. Yeah. So was it like more the feedback, you know, that you're getting from people or was it more like you know, internally? I yeah, I think it was just like feeling like, okay, now I'm a part of this, not just like a fan, you know, mm -hmm. I'm actually contributing to this culture in some way or another. Mm -hmm. um, even though it was, you know, college parties, like it really wasn't, but it was, you know, Something. for me, yeah, I was just enjoying learning to scratch and, yeah. you know, creating my first beats and, and I don't know, I just love the whole process. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then were you, were you thinking that music was a career? At that point? I, that's when I started to. I, yeah. it, the summer after my junior year, I went to New York and interned at Relativity. Okay. Um, and that's when I kind of realized I don't want to do this music business. Like I was, it wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be. Yeah. So then I kind of took the route. Of, what was signed to Relativity at the time? It was like Common was on Relativity, okay. Three Six Mafia. Um, yeah, so it was a good yeah, time. Yeah, they had for a bunch them. of people. Yeah. Uh, they had the beat nuts. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it was. I mean, it was a dope roster. Like I, yeah. I, I loved what was on there. MOP was mm -hmm. on there. Of course, like now I've ended up like working with a lot of these guys, so that's been dope. But, um, yeah, at the time I was just like, okay, I want to go strictly. I want to produce and DJ, mm -hmm. and that's what I kind of put my focus towards. So, fast forward a little bit. When I got out of college, I moved down to LA with a couple friends. You know, we didn't know what we we're going to do, but we were like, we're going to go do something in music. Sure. And uh, they'd left like within three weeks. Both of them went back home. Is that right? Yeah. So I was like without a place to stay. Nice. I was sleeping in my car for like, I don't know, it wasn't that long, maybe a week or two. Yeah. And uh, then I'd convinced a friend of mine who'd that moved. That feels like a long time, I'm sure. It did. Yeah. Because yeah. I had no idea Especially, where I was going. And like, you don't know when it's going to end. Right, right. Yeah. So, but I mean, it was kind of like one of those steps where you just kind of jump in feet first. And when you're 22 years old, yeah, you know, you kind of bounce back easily. So, sure. I, and I think that being naive actually has its advantages in that situation. Cause now, you know, once you have kids and stuff, you can't, right. you just can't do, do stuff yeah, yeah. like that. So, sure. um, so yeah. So one of my friends from high school was living with his friend who he'd convinced him to move into this little studio in North Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And and then he convinced him to let me move in. So there's three of us in a like a tiny room with no air conditioning. It's like 95 degrees in August. Mm -hmm. And uh, just kind of sweated it out for a while there. And Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was working like odd jobs. Just uh, I took this job as like doing street marketing where it was so it was the year 2000 and we we're going to business to business trying to get people to download stamps.com <laughs> and all i all i was supposed to do is get them to download it for free for a free trial wow. i couldn't even do that like i yeah. couldn't get anyone just to even like just download this and try it sure so like i mean back then that was such a like, yeah like that was such a hassle to try to do that right and probably they didn't know security wise like right. what's this guy trying to get me to put on my computer what the idea know? of buying stuff online in 2000 was so foreign right yeah you know. yeah so yeah. that didn't work out but out of that i met a good friend of mine uh named kill bunker who's a he's a he he does a lot of video production and mm -hmm. um he's a director 
and we were both young at the time, but he introduced me to DJ Arrow, who was, he'd just taken uh, Mixmaster Mike's place in Tommy Lee's group, Methods of Mayhem. Mm-hmm. So Arrow and I got together and we we made an album together. And uh, we- What was the record called? It was called Seven Deadly Songs. Okay. It was like an EP that, that we did together. Yeah. And uh, it was basically started out as a demo. Yeah. And I remember like kind of my first lesson from this was I remember we went over to Tommy Lee's house after we had like three songs done. And he'd just like been on Cribs and stuff. So it was kind of surreal. I was uh-huh. a young kid. And it was Tommy and Mixmaster Mike and Arrow and myself and we're like taking flaming Dr. Pepper shots and we're like listening to this this music and Tommy's like, this is dope. I'm gonna take it into whatever label they were on at the time. And uh-huh. I was just like, oh, this is it. Like, yeah. you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be signed and we're we're done. This is it. And that was kind of my first experience of not putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. So So wait, why why do you think um your two friends left that you moved and and why did you stay? I just don't think they were I think they were the idea of like doing something in music is it looks a lot more exciting from the outside. And I think for a lot of us who have kind of built our careers, we've we've went through phases of trying to carry other people on our backs who weren't mm-hmm. necessarily as driven as we were. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think that was it. They just, you know, they they wanted to come down. It seemed exciting. We'd be partying and hanging out and, you know. Yeah meeting girls or whatever. And my objective was never that. My sure. objective was always to like build the career in the music industry. Um, so, you know, I kind of saw it as, as a more, more of a business mm-hmm. uh, possibility. And I think they saw it as more, we're just gonna have fun mm-hmm. until reality hits. Sure. Why, why, do we, why do we try to carry those people on our backs? Because, I mean, I think we're young and naive and we we don't have access to other people who are driven like mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're lucky enough when you're young to find someone like that and partner up, it's probably, you know, you're probably like 100x on the rest of us because mm-hmm. you're working with people locally and right. the chances are that you're going to find someone as driven <clears throat> as you right away. Yeah, You kind of have to go through trial and error and realize... You can't carry people. You like they have to want it just as bad as you do. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I think through trial and error, you meet other people like that. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's it's a long process to get there. I don't know with you. Like, did you have those kind of experiences? Yeah, a little bit. I think. Um, I mean, not as not as dramatic. Like, I didn't move across the country with anybody or nothing like that. But yeah, I definitely came across people. You know, I for me it was interesting because you know I started my career. And, you know, you're thrown into this environment in L.A. where everybody's out every night. So you're seeing the same guys night after night in the clubs or whatever. And then you just kind of become friends with, you know, you just met somebody. And then you see him the third time. You're like, oh, let's hang out. Right. right? And then those become your, your peer group. And, you know, for a while there, we were all kind of rising at the same time. You know, that sort of thing. And we, and we had this. You know, for me, it was a decade earlier than what you're talking about. And it, it was there was this feeling of like, you know, this thing that we're doing is just going to grow forever. Right. You know, it, it's like there was all the success happening and and the world was just getting bigger and bigger. 
on a daily basis and people that, you know, people like Puffy who, you know, weren't part of our circle because he's on the other coast or whatever, but you're seeing this guy go from an intern just like we were to right. now being, you know, on MTV every day. You're just like, oh, that, that kind of thing actually happens. Right. And, um, and yeah, so there's some people, you know, you see a lot of people that drop off. You know, I've definitely seen people now that, like, in my Facebook who, like, in their 20s, they were, they were rising stars in the music industry. And now in their 30s, 40s, it's a whole, you know, they're just in, they just gave up. Right, right. For whatever, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, and I think one point that you make that's important is that you were in L.A. And yeah. um, I think that that makes a big difference to be in certain places. So if you're sure. trying to get in the music industry and you're not in L.A. or New York, you know, you could do everything in that community. Like like right. for us, is like when we were in Portland, my group Animal okay. Farm at the time, we'd open yeah. for everyone. Yeah. It is constantly and consistently the year of blacksmith. Rock with my man generic. Yeah. yeah. Like, so we played with Wiz Khalifa and De La Soul and, you know, Macklemore as he's coming up and Meth and Red and, and, you know, like with Lee Feldman, for instance, like he had a party there that was a monthly party that was just like, if he had that party in New York, it would have right. like everyone throughout the world would have known about it sure. because it was always like crazy packed. Right. He had the dopest people coming through, like, for Portland. Um, but I think it doesn't carry as much weight if you do it in a, in a smaller community. So it's interesting if you think about that trade-off, right? Because, you know, I think it is, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, on the one hand, it's so much easier to break through. If we're starting a party here in L.A., you know, I've done that a dozen times throughout my career, and a couple of them have really cracked right. and been the thing that everybody was coming to. And most of them didn't. They were just like a thing. Right. That lasted as long as I had attention span for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then like, but so in a smaller market, I could be the man really easily or, or much more easily mm -hmm. by having some drive and, and a little bit of smarts. Right. Not That's to, true. Not That's to put true. anyone down in small markets, but, but the bar's lower mm -hmm. to really stand out and the payoff's lower. The payoff's a lot lower though. And so, you know, I wonder though, is there... Um, you know, is there a certain point in that trajectory where it's valuable to be in that smaller market maybe and then make the move? Or I, I don't know. I think you see examples on, on all sides of that. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, for me, and then so like fast forwarding later, I ended up moving to New York, mm -hmm. which was kind of another just jump off the bridge and hope everything pans out. Sure. Um, but it, I felt like I'd done everything I could do in Portland. Yeah. So it got to that point, like, I don't know what else to do if I want to continue to grow and learn mm -hmm. um, and and not necessarily go, like, the corporate route. I, I probably need to go to New York or L.A. Sure. And so at, at that point, I had a son, and he was three, and I had an ex-wife. I mean, I had a wife at the time. Uh -huh. But, uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things where again like uh i took such a risk that it ended up kind of backfiring because she left and went back to the west coast with my son mm. which was the hardest thing that i've ever had to deal with um, sure and and you know you have to give like you have to sacrifice a lot yeah. in this industry like if you really if you really want if you really want it um and so that was kind of another lesson like I, we went to new york and i was just like like all i really knew 
I knew a few people, but like Rob Swift was my my good friend at the time, and mm-hmm. he was just kind of co-signing me, like you know, you need to meet Eric, work with him, and nice, you know. So I ended up like I ended up having like residencies with him and with Total Eclipse, mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of like it grew, and I knew it was going to, but not everyone can see your vision. Sure. So if it's taking longer, you know, if you're in a relationship and it's taking longer for that to develop, right? You know, it, yeah. But it was a huge sacrifice. But ultimately, like, I don't know what I would have done with my career if I didn't make that move. I was, like I said, I was kind of like in a in a smaller community, and there's nowhere left to go. Sure. So. Hey, check it out! Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website, and you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. Use the drag and drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy. And next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out. And you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com. Create your own website today. Send it to us, and we will promote it online. All right. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know I know there's some people that's like, you know, they're they're kind of the king of their own little castle in these in these small markets, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just down to your personality and what you're in it for. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember like I'm trying to think of who, but you know, I remember back in the day, like if you were working a record and. You know, in Houston, there was that guy that he just ran the town and you had to go deal with him. And he, you know, he got a lot of a lot of love and a lot of attention from really big people that maybe if he were the, you know, in New York, he'd be the 25th guy, not the right. number one. Right. You know, and that suits people like the, the big fish in a small, small pond mentality. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's like if you can carve out a living no right. matter where you are, it may be. Sure. You can live more comfor- comfortably there. Um, mm-hmm. The costs aren't as much as living in New York or L.A. You know, that's great. Yeah. I mean, as I get older, I could see that being more, you know, something I could look towards. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I enjoy, like, I enjoy being here for now, but, yeah. like, who knows in the future. Sure. Like, as long as I could work from anywhere, which right. at this point I can. Yeah. Um, I could see going somewhere, you know. I couldn't be like in the middle of the country where there's nothing going on, right? Like some people, but yeah. I could be like in a smaller city. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you went from from being a DJ and producing to then being on stage, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, as an MC, right? Do you remember that first? Yeah, I remember like first shows, and yeah, um, I was not good. Uh-huh. I, was, I mean, I was. I think I've always been a good writer and okay. lyrically I've been strong, but I don't think I was like a natural performer. I think some of the guys I ended up working with like 
they kind of brought that out of me. And, you know, after a while, I became good on stage. Like, mm-hmm. I had good energy. But I don't think it was, you know, some people are just natural. This first time they step on stage, you're just like, oh, he's got it, you know? So you get up and you do your first show or one of the first and you, you realize you're not good. Or no, I didn't or, realize or it. <laughs> but, like, oh, you I didn't think I thought it. I was good. Okay, good. But I mean, um, that helps. Yeah, you have to have confidence, I yeah, guess, yeah, if you yeah. get on stage. Okay. Uh, but looking back, I could see. Got it, got like, it, got oh, it. I needed a lot of work. Okay. But, you know, I enjoyed it. Like, as much as I enjoyed being in the studio, and I was always the guy in the studio who would, like, outwork everyone. Like, everyone's tired. It's 4 in the morning. Like, I'm I'm still going. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that process, and I enjoyed being on stage just as much. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I just loved it. Um, Do you ever find yourself dependent on feedback from other people? Like, does it matter what the crowd? It gets to that point. Yeah. And, and since I haven't... You know, since I've kind of stepped back from being an artist, I can look back and see how, how I guess, how those criticisms affected you or the praise affected you. Mm-hmm. How I I never really thought of myself as like this egotistical person, but I think when I look back, it's like in order to be an artist, you have to be, you have to be self centered because sure. you have to put your art first. Yeah. Um, and so I can kind of look back and be like, you know, I. Even though I was always cool to everyone, and you know, I've, I think I've always been pretty like easygoing. Mm-hmm. You know, I did it like the world revolved around my art, and and I put some of the other thing like people in my life on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have any regrets. I think I've learned a lot, but I think I think as an artist, you get affected by that stuff, whether you want to admit it or not. Sure, you know, and, and you could have like. 99 great reviews on your album you get the one and that's That's the the one one. you focus on yeah 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 for sure it's funny i'm reading this book right now that where he kind of says like there is no he kind of argues there's no such thing as authenticity Mm -hmm. that basically everything is manufactured and you know partly because we're not you know when you're on stage or you're making a record you're only showing that side of yourself that you're choosing to whether it's conscious or not Right. And then, but obviously, as a human, there's so much more that you're not exposing to people, and so it so it's always some kind of manufacture that, you know, whatever you're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, especially when you step on stage, I feel like you almost create a separate personality. Absolutely. And, and right. You have to because you can't just be like that cocky walking around everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ultimately, it's like. I don't think we realize a lot of times how much creatures of habit we are and that we, you know, we are affected by our environment and we kind of go through life almost on cruise control a lot of times. Even though we think we're creating, we're doing, mm-hmm. like we're thinking. Of course. A lot of times it's like because we now digest so much information as humans, like we, we have to have that filtration system where we're almost like if you're driving down a highway you're not going to notice everything right. that passes by Absolutely. And, until all of a sudden a car breaks right in front of you and then right. your mind kind of clicks back on. Sure. Um, have you ever read The Power of Habit? Yeah, yeah. I thought that Love was that. really dope. Yeah. That, that, was, that one affected me for sure. Just kind of realizing like, oh, yeah, everything I do really is a habit. And I right. can change these things. And yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely recommend that one. Totally. I love that book. Um, is that the one where they talk about fast food? That like, uh, they say like if 
like when they put salads on the menu, like it makes people order the bad stuff more because you went through this thought process of considering the salad. Right. And you're like, oh, I'm making a smart choice. I can let myself slide. Like right. even in the same trip to Burger King or wherever. Yeah. Like just, it, it's so funny. It's that, a lot of that. It's, it's crazy when you really dig into that and like how grocery stores are laid out so that, uh, I don't remember what it was, but it basically, so you, you see, like you always walk to the right. Mm -hmm. That's how it's laid out. Right. Like, and, and when I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, I never walk to the left, I right. guess. Like, but that's where all the fruits and vegetables are. Yeah. And then it makes you feel yeah, yeah. better so about you, buying exactly. all of the junk food. You're like, I just visited on. the produce aisle. Right. I didn't get anything, but, you know. <laughs> I, I picked up some lettuce, now I can sure. get ice cream. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a, it's funny. I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence, you know, the book I'm reading right now, Eating the Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, he also makes the argument that we're, we're not really experts at what's going on in our own brains, that the way we kind of give ourselves credits for, um, that we probably don't really know ourselves any better than other people know us. Right. And, um, but, you know, I think that's, you know, if you think about that in music and in art more broadly, like, you know, I think people are searching for this peek into the artist's sort of true self. Right. And, you know, we have this crazy fascination with authenticity. Um, but I think people don't really want authenticity. I think people, like, want a fun experience. Right. right. They, they might want it to feel authentic. They don't, you know, it's kind of like going to a strip club. Like, you know, we both know that there's a transaction here. But, like, while we're here, like, let's make it feel like we're <laughs> Try to enjoying each like other. This is, yeah. Right. And then, right. you know, if you get that one that makes you feel like you're a customer, then, you know, you lose interest real fast. Right, right. Um, I think a lot of music is, is like that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Is, and, and I actually think that, sorry, I'm just. No, go ahead. This uh, is interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about this now because I've been reading this book. But, like, I actually think that since hip-hop, and maybe, I don't know if it works for rock, but I think since hip-hop has kind of given up, it's like authenticity kind of has had to stranglehold on hip hop and it's kind of gotten away from that right. the last several years. And I think as a result, I think it's really blown up commercially since that's happened. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's manufactured now. It's right. so different. It's, but that's kind of okay with everybody except for like a few old guys. Except for yeah, like the, me the and, traditionalists, us, right. us old heads. Sure. Um, but I mean, it, it's it's tough because I can't, you know, my experience as a teenager, which is like, you know, that's the time when you really like sit and digest these albums and learn all the, the lyrics and everything. Um, you know, that's that's when I look back and have fond memories of. So these kids today, you know, right. this is their best times of their life and sure. they're enjoying it. This is the music. This is the soundtrack. And so I'm sure if we were raised in a different time, you know, we'd have different yeah, for music sure. that, that influenced us. So do you think that kids, I mean, I don't know how much you're in touch with teenagers today through work or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, maybe run a boarding home on the side or something. Right. I don't know. But like, <laughs> do you think those kids are having the same kind of experience that we were with their music? It's different because 
the 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 one thing that's different now is is I think I think music is so oversaturated. There's so much music coming out. Yeah. Like you can't sit and digest an album because right. every day there's so many new tracks coming out. Right. And and also you're not paying for it. So I don't know if you have the same value attached to it. Sure. Um, when we were kids, it's like we went, we were so excited. The album's coming out this Tuesday. We went and bought the album and we listened to it over and over, learned all the words. Yep. I don't know that kids do that today, you know? So does that mean, have, does that mean they enjoy it less? No. I mean, I think they could still enjoy it just as much, but I think the experience is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, they enjoy it in their own way, you mm-hmm. know? It's yeah. I I don't want to be that old guy that's like you know in my day everything was so no, much no, better. No, no, I, I understand that. I yeah. just want, and and I'm not necessarily saying that either. But I but I am curious, like, like you said, they're having a different experience. Mm-hmm. And so, what I don't know is what does that mean? Like, what is that? What's the result of that? I don't right? know. Like, I mean, does it mean you know? I know for for guys like us, right? Hip hop, because we're of a certain age. And we were exposed to hip hop at a certain point in our lives, mm-hmm. right? That it has so much meaning for us, the the songs, but more broadly the culture and and all of this mm-hmm. baggage that we projected onto it, right? And that certain opportunistic businessmen, you know, leveraged for their own uh, wealth, right? Right, and so all of that works out to like it being this massive cultural vehicle right and um and so i wonder like is that kind of thing possible in when people are having this totally different experience with it no you are right because i i think that uh that not only was like just the music it was it was everything we were for sure and and i think now because like you said it's not everyone's not creative they're not original they're kind of doing the same thing Mm-hmm. eventually that's going to wear out. I mean, you can only, like, listen to the the same song so much over and over, and it basically, a lot of it starts to sound the same. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think they enjoy the music, but there's something about being part of, like, hip-hop culture in, in the 80s and 90s that I don't think it'll ever be replicated, you know? For sure. Um, so, like, for me, it's like I'm a little younger than, you know, I, I wasn't around, like, I was born in 77, so mm-hmm. I wasn't around when hip-hop, like, first jumped off. But I went back and studied it because right. I was so into it yeah, yeah, that I was sure. like, I want to know everything about this. Right. I don't think if you talk to any teenagers, you know, now that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say, I don't want to generalize like that, but mo- yeah, yeah, most of Yeah, I think you are. meet the odd one that's like, I met a couple 14-year-olds who are, like, really into Biggie and, right. the, you know, just that whole thing. Like, But I think that's probably more the exception. Yeah. You know, although, you know, to be fair, like when I was when I was a kid, like being into hip hop was the exception. Right. You know, you were kind of like I wouldn't say we were outsiders because we had kind of our own thing going on. But it was definitely not the mainstream thing to be into as a white teenager in the the 80s. Well, I mean, not if you listen to like Black Moon or, you know, something like that. Like it was if you if you listen to MC Hammer or something. Well, I'm just saying, like, even back then, like, um. Uh, I'm saying like so, a generation earlier than that. So for me, you know, I grew up on Rakim and EPMD and Public right. Enemy and Big Daddy Kane, and like most of the kids in my 
sophomore class never heard of any of those. Right. You know what I mean? No, I mean, and that was still underground music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and so that kind of brings me to a point like today, one thing that I've noticed is, yes, it's manufactured, and yes, you see all these people come with one hit and they're done, mm-hmm. just like they did when, you know, back in the day. There was always that that aspect right. to pop music. But I, when I look at longevity and the people who are selling out arenas mm-hmm. consistently, you know, the J. Coles and, uh, um, you know, Chance the Rapper now, like, these guys have a lot to what they're saying. Like, there's some depth to their lyrics. Yeah. And I think that, that you know, it, it shows that good music can always prevail. I mean, yeah, it's in funny. fact, Tribe's album was number one this year. and Yeah. Absolutely. It's still out there. Like, people still want to hear good music that speaks mm-hmm. to them. We don't believe you, because we the people are still here in the rear. Yo, we don't need you. You ain't killing off good young It's funny you mentioned J. Cole. I was just talking to my man who works with, with Cole, mm-hmm. and he was explaining stuff I didn't really know, that, that they've basically kind of given up on marketing. I wouldn't say given up. They've decided to kind of walk away from marketing like they're not spending all this money on advertising they're not going after radio hmm. they're just like uh they're doing their thing with social and putting records out and playing shows and the record's just as big as it ever was like they didn't even take this last record to radio right but i still hear it on sirius so yeah they still must be you know getting it out there or or it's it's well i think radio i mean from what i can tell the model shifted right and mm-hmm. it was it used to be about you know who's going to really pay us? I mean, I'm sure there's still a lot of that too, right. but I but I think it's also like, you know, they got to look at what's happening on Shazam and musically and right, and they have, you know, radio has to. They used to have a monopoly on listeners, mm-hmm. right? So they could really dictate the terms and say we're only going to play stuff maybe that we love or that's paying us or both right. or like they could really set those. And now they don't have that monopoly anymore, so they have to compete with with satellite, with streaming, with you know podcasts, with all these other things. And so they got to play what people want, right? You could kind of make that argument. I don't. I'm not the radio expert, so I think it I don't makes really perfect know. sense because yeah, you're competing with people who can just click a button and play whatever they want. Right. Um, it's such a different world now. Yeah. And, I mean, that's my son is nine now, and. Uh-huh. Like, from the time he's been, you know, his life, the term of his life has been like, you know, when he was even a little, a three-year-old, he was like, I want to watch that show, but I want that episode and right. I want it now, you yeah, know? Yeah. We never sure. had that luxury, so. No, I think we all would have wanted that if we knew it was possible. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So. For sure. What's he into musically? Uh, it's funny. He he really likes Eminem. Okay. And uh, I definitely am like, I'm, I'm not the editor type of person like i'm not like you like we can't listen to anything with right. cuss words but eminem yeah. is pretty you know for sure some of the stuff he says is pretty uh violent and yeah. so i i make him listen to like the clean versions with uh-huh. him. but it's funny i don't even know how he got into him right. um, he kind of did on his own that's and, funny uh he likes like some other like pop music like imagine dragons and stuff uh-huh. like that so funny yeah I definitely am not like dictating what he right. listens to, but he hears, you know, the stuff I listen yeah, to, yeah, so sure. it's gonna affect him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's funny. So, okay, let's go back to um, to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, what? Why did you make the move to to the business side? 
and get involved in booking and that's uh i think you know being a father and just kind of getting older and and i always <coughs> saw that as being the end goal yeah i never thought i was gonna be an artist forever um but i th enjoyed that as well like i wanted to be able to do everything it kind of comes to a point where uh you can't do everything mm -hmm. I, I even though i'm glad that and i think that hip-hop has this ability to teach a lot of the people that are from our generation to like do a lot out of necessity so we learn a lot that's applicable mm -hmm. through our lives yeah but eventually it's like are you going to be really good at one thing or are you going to be pretty good at a bunch of things and so i just i felt like i needed to like turn this into a career and being an artist wasn't probably wasn't my calling mm -hmm. um so i eventually <laughs> got a job uh actually just through linkedin um th with this agency in, in nyack new york okay and i was living in the city so i basically had to take a subway to a bus no a subway to a train to a bus and it took me two hours each way so i was traveling for four hours a day wow. to work i basically left at 8 a.m and got back at like 9 30 at night um and i did that because they had wu-tang on their roster uh -huh. when i first got there yeah and uh you know it was like a lot of the stuff that i was a fan of so i i took this job as a booking agent and uh eventually like i i ended up um I ended up moving back to the west coast just because like i'd said my son was back here and i was working for them from the west coast mm -hmm. and uh that was kind of it like i eventually my my old boss who was he was kind of a typical booking agent um what does that mean i can't like <clears throat> i always kind of feel like i have to if i if I'm going to blame someone for something, I kind of have to give them credit for things as well. Okay. You know, when I say a typical booking agent, I mean, you know, a salesman. Okay. Someone who's kind of like, it's all about the business. He didn't really necessarily, he wasn't friends with any artists or managers. It was just kind of like, it was all business transactions. Mm -hmm. And being from where I'd come from, like I was friends with artists. So yeah. that kind of bugged me. But at the same time, he taught me a lot about the business and, and touring and booking and everything. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot from him. So, you know, I'm thankful for that. But eventually when I'd, I'd moved back to the West Coast, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that he, he'd kind of made some comments. And eventually he gave me an ultimatum, like, I need you to move back to New York. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's not happening. So yeah. I came down to LA. <clears throat> I was in Santa Cruz at the time and uh, met with Jamie Adler. You know Jamie? Mm -hmm. Um, manages Bone Thugs and Harmony and DJ Quick, mm -hmm. and Jamie's just like, just leave, like, come work with me, like, we'll we'll work on Bone stuff. And I'd also kind of developed a relationship with Creed Bratton, who was on the Office on the uh -huh. TV show. So Creed was was with the agency, and he left and started just working with me. And through that, I just developed my own business. And I'd only been working as an agent for a year. Nice. And and just you know, since then I've been on my own, which is like you know I. Like, I don't know what kind of salary I'd need now to not be on my own because it's, it's so amazing just to have that freedom. And, yeah. you know, as long as you can pay the bills and sure. you're doing okay, it's, to me, that's priceless. So what's better on the, on the, what do you miss about the artist side or the talent side and what is better on the business side? I miss, uh, I miss creating music. Yeah. Like, 
it's it's a fun process, especially like if you're creating with other people, other artists. It's it's just you know, you hit kind of peaks of creativity that you don't get a hit in your normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do miss that. Mm-hmm. I you know when I was when I was doing that so much, like I never thought I could step away and be okay with it. But now I feel like you know life goes on. Like right. I still enjoy my life. You know I enjoy it in other ways. I don't need to be on stage. I don't need to be like the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's basically what I miss most is just having that ability to have that creative outlet. Mm-hmm. What do you think you learned from the creative side that that makes you that benefits your your clients? Uh, I think just being able to put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of agents or you know people in the the business can't do that because they've never like been on the road and and done that right um so i think i i genuinely care about the people i work with Mm -hmm. and you know if they're unhappy at a hotel like i don't want that to be the case like i want them to be happy right um and you know i want them to feel like i'm actually looking out for them otherwise they could go work with any big agency that's going to treat them just like cattle you know sure so um, I think that's probably the biggest benefit of working with me. I really like. I really genuinely care about you know their career, and I'm you know I work with them on not just like okay, let me just book you as many shows as I can and make a bunch of money, but like let's plan out like when's your album coming out. Let's like mm-hmm. make everything make sense. You yeah. Know? So, how, so it's beneficial. So how do you balance that? Because I, I definitely like from the outside, it's easy to look at some stuff that you see artists do and, I, and I'll speak broadly about you know actors you know anybody creative like you can look at some stuff they do and kind of go you know that, that must have been the agent or the manager like needing to get his commission right. so he like you know not to say pushed him into that but there's stuff that like you know artists if you're a successful artist you, you make a lot of money right you know I know I know you know, a lot of guys who are not that famous and they make, you know, millions, they make million plus a year, mm-hmm. you know, not that makes it sound easier than it is. But, yeah. but you know, it's what I mean? still one in, a, one in a billion. Basically. OK, but but we could both name. Right. Yeah. Dozens of people. Right. That are in that situation. Right. And um, and so, you know, one particular gig here and there maybe doesn't make the, that much difference to them. But, you know, it certainly might make the difference to the person who's making 10% of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, how do you balance those things? You know, how do you balance your own priorities against your client's priorities? I mean, it's tough because it's not only, you know, my, my artists are my clients, and I, I definitely have to look out for them first, but I also need to look out for all the promoters I work with because sure. I, I can't burn them. Like, right. I can't sell them just this piece of crap and be like, you know, it's worth 10 times more than it is. Right. Because they're never going to want to work with me again. Yeah. So I feel like I almost look at it like I have a lot of partners out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm partners with certain artists, with certain managers, with certain, there's certain promoters I know I can call. They're always going to be honest with me about what something's worth. I don't have to play any games. I don't have to like pretend like, oh, it's worth, you know, twice as much just right. so we can negotiate back to where it should be. Um, and, I think those relationships are really important to me mm-hmm. because that keeps me like, um, it, it just makes me feel like, you know, 
I have a team of people on on all sides that I can I can work with. Sure. Uh, I don't know if I'm going off track with. That, I mean, I think that complicates things even more. There's a great story in uh, the kid stays in the picture, uh-huh. the Bob Evans uh, biography, okay. where he, so he produced The Godfather and he was trying to book Pacino for The Godfather, and Pacino's agent was like, "He's on another job. I'm not burning my bridge personally with the studio right. to get him out of that deal," and you know he almost they almost shot that movie without Pacino. Right. And uh, and it was because he went around the agent and, like, made it happen. And it was the best thing for Pacino's career. Now, did they know that beforehand? Who knows, right? But but to your point, right, like, you have you have really three stakeholders mm-hmm. to manage between your, your clients, yourself, and the, age, and the promoters that you have to do business with, right? right? And sometimes other agents that I team up with to book tours. I For mean, sure. It's not just me sometimes. So. so is there some, you know, is there like a guiding principle that helps you navigate I, all of that? I mean, I think I just try to be fair with people. Mm-hmm. I really think like I go into every relationship just trying to feel like this is reciprocal and we're both going to benefit from this. Like I genuinely, I don't like, I don't get off when, when I make a bunch of money and someone else loses a bunch of money like mm-hmm. that, I don't like I don't feel any joy from that. I feel mm-hmm. bad, you know. I think some people in business like they look at it as like a competition. Of course, like, I'm gonna win and they're gonna lose. But like in, in the long run, that's such a narrow-minded way to look at things. Yeah. Um, but getting back to your point, like about what's important for the artist. I mean, I really do take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Like if it's if something comes along that's a big payday, that's you know, it might not be the best fit or the best look. I'll talk to them and just be like, you know, this is, isn't, is like, perfect for your brand, but do you want to make a bunch of money on this? Like, you make the call. Sure. I'm not I'm not going to force you into anything. Yeah. So if they feel like they need a little extra money, then yeah. maybe they'll want to do it. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. What do you think that percentage is of people that are like, yeah, let's just take the money? Uh, I think a lot of people just take the money. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, like as an agent, a lot of times how the deals work is there's there's a back end percentage which you know, like a lot of times after all of the expenses and taxes and and the artists are paid, and and the promoters make their fifteen percent profit, then there's eighty five percent on the back end that'll go to the artist. Mm-hmm. So a lot of promoters will try to convince you to take like, you know, just take a percentage of the door or or you know a, a lower guarantee and a, a higher back end percentage. Sure. Um, if you bring that to an artist, like they're never gonna say, "Oh, it's cool. We'll just take less." Like right. the goal is to bring them as much money as possible, so it yeah. makes sense for them to leave. Maybe they're leaving their family for a month, or mm-hmm. you know, just to go out on the road can be strenuous for a month. Yeah. So you have to make it worth their while, while making it fair for promoters so they can make some money too. Yeah. So it's a balancing act. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yo, if you're feeling this one with Eric. Go back in the archives. Check out my old interview with Ren Man, Steve Rennie, Ren Man U, Ren Man Live. Everything you want to know about the music industry, if you're trying to build a career in music, that man's got you covered. Check out the Ren Man episode and leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about it. Now back to Eric Abel. So did I, so I read that you were on a semi-pro basketball team? No, I wasn't on a semi-pro. <laughs> so I actually, Is like, that... a friend of mine, uh, 
owned a semi-pro team and brought me in as like a minority owner. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, Are you still No, that's that? no. like, I don't even know if that league's still around anymore. Oh, really? Um, but it was interesting. I mean, I've always been a, like, I've always played basketball. I love uh -huh. playing basketball. And um, like I was, so I don't know. I was just interesting to kind of, okay, I'm going to learn this business a little bit. Sure. Um, but yeah. Did you, did you learn anything from that that, that then applies to your to your business? I don't know. I mean, basketball, like, it's still like putting on an event. So mm -hmm. I guess in a sense, you know, you're still promoting that event and you're still, you know, you got to get fans out. And yeah. So, yeah, in a sense. But uh, I don't know. It was, it was a lot of stuff I already kind of knew. I mean, the assumption in sports, and, uh, you know, I don't really know anything about sports business, but the assumption is that, like, if the team's winning, then you'll sell tickets. And yeah. if the team's not winning, then it's going to be much harder to sell tickets. Is that, like, is there more to it than that? I mean, I think there is. In, in those situations, it's like a semi-pro team is, like, you're playing in these small communities. Yeah. There's really not much else going on. Um, and so it's like, I mean, you just have to convince people that it's worth coming to. You know, the, mm -hmm. the ticket prices have to be right and mm -hmm. you have to promote right and you have to give them some sort of incentive to come and kind of check it out and enjoy themselves, make it fun for a family. Yeah. Um, maybe you offer like packages for the family sure. to kind of get people out at first. Um, but yeah. So what about that in music? I think people, you know, some folks are much more creative than others, whether it's promoters or, or artists in how they package up their shows you know i know like you know kid rock does his thing with the cheap tickets and the beer mm -hmm. included and you know it's a big white trash festival right um like do you see who do you see that's doing kind of that's innovating that that concert business i mean i think chance the rapper is like i think what they did with wrigley field was you know next level for chicago yeah um you know, I've seen some interesting stuff over the years that, like, there was one group that had, um, had, they'd done something through, like, through, like, the navigation on your maps where you went to a park. I think it was in D.C. Mm. And uh, this isn't a really live concert business, but this is just, you know, mm -hmm. being creative to, to you know, uh, build your fan base. Like, you had to go to different parts of the park to hear the different songs. Oh, cool. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that Sleepify thing. Did you ever hear about nah. that one? When Spotify was, like, just paying for plays, some group had convinced all their fans to just play this. Uh, do you heard, no, you heard that? No. Nah. Just play this track over and over that all yeah. it was was a blank track. And so they ended up making like twenty thousand dollars that paid for their tour. Yeah. So they went out and played for free for their fans. No way. So that was cool. I thought yeah, that yeah. was interesting. That's um, cool. But yeah, I mean, there's always ways to be creative. Stick it to the Swedish. Yeah, I mean, I love it. You know, that's probably twenty thousand is nothing for them. Um, but I, I think like too often, especially like veterans in this industry, just get lazy. Sure. And it's easy to just be like, oh, here we go, we're gonna do another tour. I'll do a few, you know, radio interviews mm -hmm. and, you know, we'll, we'll post it on Facebook and that's it. Like, so, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like, so I think it's, I think people do get lazy, especially again, when you're already successful and it's not going to make or break your, 
your livelihood one way or the other, right? Right. Um, but also, I think it's got to be so much harder on your 10th tour to like really come up with ideas that are groundbreaking, right? Like, you know, again, when, you know, when you're 22 and doing it for the first time and you bring this fresh perspective to the world and you've never, you know, you have that naive, naivete, right? Like you, you didn't know that the Rolling Stones did this, you know, 40 years ago, right? right? Or whatever. So you just kind of do it. Yeah. And you put your own spin on it and you almost like can innovate without trying. Yeah. Or without all the baggage. Right. You figure out ways, like you don't need a big budget. You're going to come up with something creative that's going right. to stand out. Yeah. Yeah. Then when you have a big budget, it's like, oh, let's get, let's get those Tupac hologram guys and let's get the, right. you know, the Beyonce merch van. And like, you just kind of, you see this stuff and you're like, oh, I want that. It's kind of like going to, sh- to, the, to the mall, right? And just being like, I want all that stuff that I saw in the magazines. Right. And then for a lot of people, when they're on the backside of their career and they no longer have that budget, now yeah. what do you do? That's yeah. that's the question is like when have, that's when I feel like a lot of people give up being creative because they don't have the budget to do anything creative. Right. And they're older. Yeah. They're not like a lot of people just don't put out new music because it doesn't have the same effect. People sure. come to hear their old songs anyways. You know, how do you get revitalized at, at 45, you know, after you've already done 15 U.S. tours? Right. I don't know. Yeah. You know, that's that's something. But. But I will say, like, I always think there's room to grow. And I always think there's, you know, I always think you can learn. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Do you ever read uh, Carol Dweck's Mindset? Yeah, yeah, Mindset. That, was, that one it. changed my life. Yeah. Because I was kind of, it was after, you know, my, my ex-wife had moved to the back with my son. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of going through a low phase. And I, I realized, like, I read that and I was just like, I've been so stagnant for the last couple of years. It kind of just shocked me out of it. Yeah. So it, I definitely recommend that one. For That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, we're not done growing. Just right. because we're not in school doesn't mean we can't educate ourselves and for sure. get better. So have you had mentors that have helped teach you some of the stuff along the way? Or are you figuring it out all for yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I have. Uh, on the artist side, I think I kind of figured a lot of it out on my own. Yeah. Um, with, like I said, my my old boss, um, it was the International Artist Agency at the time. Now they're Patriot Artists. Mm-hmm. But he taught me a lot. Like I, you know, I, in the year I was there, I learned a lot about the business that I didn't really understand just from booking my group and you know, mm-hmm. groups that I worked with. Uh, and so I learned a lot from him. I've I've learned a lot from Jamie Adler. Like, uh, he's pretty hands-off. Like, I just kind of handle stuff on my own. But, yeah. you know, he deals with people in a different way that's a little more compassionate. Okay. He's more friends with the acts he deals with. Mm. And that's always how I've wanted to be because this is a fun business. Like, we're lucky to be in this business. Sure. Um, you know, if I, if I, like, look back at my 16-year-old self and he saw, like, who I was working with, he'd be excited, you know? Mm-hmm. So I try to, like, keep it in perspective. Mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm lucky to be doing this. Um, there's a lot of other jobs I could be doing that I sure. would like. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and what, what, do you, what do you wish the artists knew? Like, 
you know, again, having been on both sides, so when you when you work with clients now, are are there things that you kind of wish that they understood about about the business? Yeah, I mean, when when I was coming up, I just assumed all these guys who I looked up to like knew everything about the business. I'm like, yeah. they're big; they've got to know everything. Like, they've got to understand how this works. Yeah. But when you dig deeper, you kind of get surprised. Like, you've been in this business for 20 years and you don't understand your publishing or. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, this is basic stuff that you should understand. This is your money. This is your career. But, like, when you're, say, 20 years old and you get signed and you have this great team around you that's helping, like, push you, I think it's easy to just be like, oh, I'll let them handle it. Mm-hmm. But I think the people who took their careers into their own hands, and now a lot of the younger artists are doing that. Because sure. they've, they've kind of learned from other people's mistakes. But the people who are, you know, big in the 90s, the ones who actually took their careers in their own hands and kept like kept being active and doing mm-hmm. different creative things they're the ones who i think are in a much better position than the people who, who still have to rely on other people sure cuz a lot of those people are they're out of the picture now because there's not the same money right there yeah so i know a lot of what you're doing i know you had the dilla uh the dilla show we did, yeah. So I've been representing Slum Village for the last three years. Okay. And we did uh, the first Dilla weekend in Miami. Nice. And that was really dope to be yeah. a part of. Like we put yeah, that sure. on. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Bizarre Ride, we had Trey on the show a few weeks back. And Trey's my guy. Yeah. 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 I booked them with uh, Slum Village. We did a tour, and uh, yeah, I've I've done some other stuff with them, but yeah, they're all good guys. So how is the, how's the market for that like? You know, obviously we think of hip-hop as this very youthful, you know, we think of it as youth culture, but yet there's a generation that's grown up, I think, you know, this, to me, the idea of classic hip-hop as a genre is really interesting. Like, I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad we have K-Day and, you know, and there's starting to be more of these revival shows, but it also feels like... I don't know. I, I Not that I don't want to suggest there's a downside, but it, it feels like not obvious, yeah, uh, right? Because it's because it's just you know generally it's generally so youthful, and it, I think it's generally like associated with a time period in people's lives. Yeah, but I mean, these guys have to create a living for themselves. Yeah, just yeah like of course. Old jazz musicians, you know. I guess what I'm wondering is is how is it working like on the road? I mean, there's still. There's still a market for a lot of these guys. So, like, yeah. when I book Bone Thugs and Harmony, they still average 1,100 tickets a show. I nice. mean, that's crazy, like, yeah. after all these years. And, yeah. you know, some of the kind of breakups and get-back-togethers with those guys. Um, for sure. And, you know, like, now I'm booking Ghostface. Mm-hmm. And, like, Wu-Tang's always going to have their audience. Yeah. They, they even kind of have a revitalized younger audience as well, I think. Um but there's also people who were big that, you know, now can't tour. I think part of it is, like, if you took some time off and you didn't sustain being a touring act, yeah. a lot of times, like, people forget about you. So it's the acts that can consistently tour and are mm-hmm. out there and doing new things and, you know, keeping interest in, in one capacity or another. They're the ones that can still create a, you know, a touring lifestyle and, yeah. and make money off of it. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's a business in itself. And for me, it's like I feel fortunate enough to be working with artists that I really like and respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I could easily, like, go take a check and, and go, you know, book 
whoever the hottest act for this week is. Right. But like, I don't feel fulfilled from that. And I look at it as, you know, I'm, I'm putting music out in the universe that should be out there that I, that I like and enjoy. So on that note, like, is there a sellout move that like either has come across your, you know, opportunity that's come your way or that you've like anticipated that, that crosses a line for you? I mean, I don't know what, like, it's, it's funny. Like there's a couple of things that come to mind. Like when I was working for that agency, obviously I didn't have as much control over what I booked. There was like a ABBA, uh, tribute act that I was booking for a while, but it's like, it's hard for me to sell that. Right. It's like, if they don't get it, I can't really sell it because I don't know anything about ABBA, but, um, you know, it sold tickets, so it worked for people. Uh, since, you know, I I did book like a two week run with soldier boy, which I can say, I'm not like a huge fan of his music, but like, you know, I don't feel like I was selling out. I just, just came across go book soldier boy. All right, mm-hmm. cool. Like, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like the 95% of the stuff I booked, I've been a fan of. So in that sense, I feel pretty it's fortunate. Yeah. yeah. So if you're working with a new artist, what are, what are the most important tips for surviving the road? Um, I mean, they have to just be willing to like be flexible, I think, and, and not have huge expectations at first. Okay. They have to be willing to to grind it out a little bit. There's an artist I'm working with um, named Ryan Carveo from Seattle. Okay. And he just did like, he did Bumbershoot this year and Sasquatch. And they just did a show at the Showbox up there. I don't know if you know that venue. But they did like a thousand people. And so he's kind of, I feel like from Seattle, he's the next one to really Mm -hmm. blow up. Paradise is a place that's far from home. We booked him in LA. We've got a, a San Francisco show, a Portland show, Dallas. Like we're starting to like, okay, let's hit his look at look at you know his Spotify and let's hit his markets that he's big in. Yeah. But these guys like they're willing to go do it for a door deal. Mm-hmm. You know, they're willing to come out of pocket and mm-hmm. and say let's go prove ourselves and you know. Door deal means no guarantee. No guarantee. Yeah. Just a percentage. Like usually it's like after you know five hundred in expenses maybe you know we'll take seventy percent or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So you have to be confident that you sure. got some fans out there. Yeah. And you know I don't know I took losses for years as an artist, but it was all part of the experience mm-hmm. and and just you know overall I learned so much from it. Yeah. I think you have to just go into it with an open mind and say, you know if I if I if I want to make this happen like. What am I willing to do? Sure. What about more tactical? Like, is there a travel? Like, you know, I heard a I heard a story of an artist I won't mention who was um, playing main stage at Coachella, who like his show was delayed by an hour because they couldn't find his flash drives. <laughs> uh, like, is it? I mean, obviously. So don't lose don't lose your flash drives. That could be an easy. Right. But like, but are are there like tactics for like? I know the road can be hard on people. Yeah. Just to you know sleep and. Uh, Hotels and airplanes and whatever, all yeah. that. Like, is there any uh, any tricks of the trade? Um, I mean, it's, and it's funny because I spent a lot of the last three years on the road with Creed Bratton, um, but he's seventy two years old, and uh, like he had more energy than me. Yeah, part of it's because he really took care of himself. Like when we ate, we would eat like we'd get up, we'd have like an egg white omelet, 
and we'd you know we we would eat like a chicken with with salad for lunch like uh-huh. we were very like conscious of that he'd always go in the pool or you know yeah. i'd go to the gym like i think when i was young when i was 23 or whatever on right. the road we'd eat at mcdonald's right. like i Drink think all day whatever. yeah because you don't realize how much that affects your body because yeah. you can bounce back so easily sure hangover is nothing at that age but still you could you could be doing better with your energy and you could be like staying healthy and you mm-hmm. could you know really be on top of that even from a young age mm-hmm. so i think if i were to go back and do it a little differently i would i would be healthier yeah so funny i'm you know i'm tight with the guys from uh from lincoln park yeah I hope they don't mind me saying this <laughs> but like uh one of one of them was telling me the other day that they kind of had a reputation for being not fun right because they kind of acted like grown-ups on the road and he, and and they said that, you know now all of our contemporaries are kind of wishing they had lived they they said basically now we look really smart right because they're all healthy and you know it's it's a weird it's a weird space to be in as an artist especially like someone who makes music that people party to yeah you know when you show up all your fans and the promoters and stuff they want to party with you they're like they're right. they're there yeah, thinking of course. oh we're taking shots like if sure. you do that for 30 nights in a row, like, what are you doing to your body, you yeah. know? So you got to be able to balance it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, luckily with, like, with Creed, we'd have a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. We'd have, you know, we, we would just, like, we'd go to, we, his shows were, like, he'd be on at 8 or 9, so we'd right. be back at the hotel by midnight. That's big. It was nice. That's a big, that's yeah. a big advantage. And we'd all, and we'd have our own rooms, which we weren't, like, packed into, you know, I, a little space. I tell all my friends who are DJs, like, when they come to LA and invite me to shows, I'm like, I'll, I'll come to the day party. Right. I'm not, I'm not coming at midnight. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Um, what do you think of, what's been the biggest sacrifice that you've made? I mean, I guess my family, you know, like I basically, I'm, I'm remarried now, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely like lost a relationship over, over music yeah. and, um, and made it really difficult to function as a father with my son. Like, even to this point, I go up to Santa Cruz for a week every month mm-hmm. and just get an Airbnb so I can have my son yeah. with me. Yeah. And, uh, like, I've sacrificed a lot. I can't, but but I'd do anything to, you know, be with him as much as I can. Sure, of so, course. Um, I think sometimes, like, you have to be willing to sacrifice. I mean, maybe that was extreme, but that was probably my biggest one personally. Yeah, yeah that's big. Yeah. Okay, I have a little lightning round. Okay. Um, so uh, let's go back and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self. My 18-year-old self. Uh, I would just tell myself to... I tell myself that everything's going to work out, mm. you know, you're going to go through, you're going to go through some rough patches and you're going to go through some good times and just, you know, luckily I'm not like one of those personalities that really rides the roller coaster high and low. Mm-hmm. I stay pretty in the middle, but you know, just don't, don't let it worry you mm-hmm. because everything will work out. I'm so glad you say that because I, I feel like, I feel like there's, there's an attitude out there that like not knowing that is what fuels people. Mm-hmm. Right. And this whole like startup mentality or, or, or artist mentality of like, you have to succeed at this or you have to make this happen. Um, 
and I, I think that's really damaging. And I think like yeah. I've found in personal experience, and it sounds like you have too, that like once you get the fact that all these setbacks aren't going to kill you, and that you'll get there eventually, like you can kind of function better. Yeah, I mean, anyone you know who's successful has failed a bunch of times. It's it's impossible to get there otherwise. Like yeah. you have to learn through experiences. Mm -hmm. Even if someone from 18 years old was telling you, take this path, this path, this path. Like, it's it's not the same if you don't experience it yourself. Of course. You know, it's yeah. like it's like if, if you inherit, inherited a bunch of money, you're never going to appreciate it. Like, you really have to go through building it yourself to really appreciate what you've got. Yeah. So. What talent do you always wish you had more of? Um, I guess I wish I was a better writer. Uh, like I said, like I can always write lyrics pretty well, um, but like the ability to write something that really evokes an emotion from your reader, mm. I'd love to be able to do that better. So if you had to choose a career that had nothing to do with music? Uh, professional basketball player. Okay. I mean, the selfish person to me would say that. Like the person who's trying to be more selfless I would say, like, I would like to be a more of a humanitarian to okay. help people. What That's, would you do? I don't know. You know, I've kind of, like, made this a, a priority coming, starting li really this year. Mm. Uh, like, we did, recently we did a, a benefit for Rain Wilson's charity, which is, uh, it's called Lide, mm -hmm. L-I-D-E. And uh, he, he helps Haitian girls through education and, and the arts. Nice. And so we did a show at the Regent with with Creed and him and Craig Robinson and um, Kate Flannery, like a lot of the office cast showed up, mm -hmm. and uh, we raised ten thousand dollars for that. Nice. And I, you know, I pretty much put that together. So yeah. that was something I felt really good about. Like I'd just like to do more. You know, now that I've made some connections in this industry and like people sure. like that willing to give their time, it's like, you know, we should help people in this world. So. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, I mean, regardless, I'm going to do more of that. Um, and I, I also, like, as a father, you want to show your kids, like, you need to give back to this yeah. world. You can't just be selfish. Absolutely. So if I, if I worked, if we worked together, you know, on a daily basis, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Mm. I don't have, like, a go-to catchphrase or anything. Okay. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, I just think, like, I bring a pretty calm demeanor to things. You seem like you do, too, so mm. we're probably similar in that sense. But mm -hmm. uh, I just, like, I think uh, just to not let things stress you out so much. Like, w when I started out as an agent, and like I said, my boss was just, like, the type that, like, he'd just explode and yell over, like, it was just bullshit. Like, it right. was nothing, you know? So at the time it was like oh this is the end of the world like we haven't got that contract back yet uh -huh. but now it's just like you know what it's gonna work out like yeah. you know i'll stay persistent i'll stay on people but everything works out is there something you do to let that stress go uh you know i try to like i try to meditate a little mm -hmm. bit um i'm not consistent enough with it what's your um method just kind of like um just closing my eyes and and kind of just watching what's in, going on in my head and breathing and and kind of clearing my mind. Okay. 
uh, I think that's helpful for people who do get stressed out easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I like forget to do that, or right? I just get too busy, and I, yeah. you know, I need to make it more of a priority. But sure. um, I think it's a helpful tool. I think like you know people have used like Headspace and all that yeah. stuff now. We do, think we we do we're Headspace. You guys users. do use that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you so not together? <laughs> you guys don't sit in a room together. Um, yeah. Well, not that. I actually have a question about that because I've used like the you know just the trial uh-huh. period. Yeah. Does it get a like? Is there a lot more benefits after you get past that and you're paying for like the the service? Um, I you know for me it's been so long, but there's like there's basically an endless supply of different meditations. Okay. So that uh, so you know you go down these. Uh, they call them packs, right? But it's like uh, creativity or appreciation or anxiety or like all these different. You're like, oh, this month I'm feeling like right now I'm doing it in the motivation one, mm. right? So it's like ten days, just all about that theme, and then you go on to like the next thing. You think it's helpful? You I, well, for me, it's helpful. First of all, that it's different every day. Mm-hmm. Because I get bored. I mean, so once in a while, I'll go back and repeat something. But, like, in the past, I've done stuff that was just more out of a book. And and it's, like, um, my sixth day in a row, I just I can't do it anymore. Like, right. I, just can't, I need variety. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like the fact that, like, it's, um, it's kind of easy. You know, it's 10 minutes. It's sort of easy to stick in a morning routine and not, you know, I miss of day here and there but like i'm pretty consistent about it right. whereas i think if it's totally up to me like I, you know the fact that i'm paying for it and it sends me a notification and they're like there's enough cues in there to kind of keep me honest where I'm, i i think i have more trouble just doing it on my own yeah uh, i don't do it with the gym membership <laughs> oh yeah i forget I, have, I forget about that for like months at a time i have this like intrinsic need to get my money's worth yeah so like whatever i pay for like i'm like i'm gonna use this as much as possible and get that like cost per use down right. as low as i can it's like 10 cents every time you go to the gym exactly yeah 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 so, yeah because i've done it where it's like oh this workout just cost me 45 dollars because you know it's the only time this month or whatever yeah like, i that do kills that me. too yeah it's, i can't it's horrible yeah but yeah funny um okay so who would you be most excited to learn was a fan of your work? I don't know. You know, I there's people that I look up to, I guess. But as I, you know, we're in the industry with, like, celebrities, and you get to a point where you're like, oh, it's just another person. So was there, was there anybody who ever said, you know, that they were an Animal Farm fan that, like, got you really I mean, excited? Sure. I'm guess, I guess I was more excited to know, like, you know, as a as an artist, you want the respect of your peers. So, whose praise was the biggest like thrill for you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If the, like, it's hard for me to even think back because. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I I do have a it just kind of clicked a funny story though of opening for for the Roots. Can I uh-huh. tell you that one? Yeah. Um, we were like, so I was just de- doing a DJ set opening for the Roots in Portland, and I brought my friend Mike Crenshaw, who was in my first group, uh, Cleveland Steamers. With me. Blast off, no dust of basalts, mind in the cosmos, feet touch the asphalt. I'm in the tenor between heaven and earth. 
I am the difference between death and birth. My persistent existence contradicts conditions. Let's be realistic, switch the statistics. Not to mention surviving this shit. And Mike's like one of the dopest lyricists of all time. Like he's so like just one of those guys that more people should know about. And uh we we go downstairs like while the roots are on stage and we pour ourselves some drinks, you know, from their mm-hmm. from their hospitality. And we're in we've got these red cups. And this is totally like off topic, but we're drinking them on side of the stage, just watching. And Questlove looks over and he points at us and he flips us off. And 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 then he like does like a drinking motion. Uh-huh. So Mike gets it in his head. He's like, oh fuck, he know he knows we took his drinks, you know? <laughs> and he's like, he's stressed out for about like 20 minutes. And and I'm like, it's cool, like they got plenty of alcohol down there. They're not gonna care, you know? Yeah. And so Mike just eventually is like, I gotta go. And he takes off and he goes to this other bar that he used to work at. I'm like, I'll go with you. He goes and like gets another bottle of Knob Creek because uh-huh. he's like, he doesn't want Questlove to be pissed off at him right. for taking his alcohol. And I, I end up walking back to the venue and we're like in the back parking lot where the bus is. And Mike walks up right as Questlove's walking out. And he's like, he's like, here, I just want to give this to you. And Questlove's looking at him like, what is this? I don't even drink. And And Mike's like, oh, I thought you were like, saying we took your liquor and yeah. he's like oh i was just pointing to this girl in front of me because she was so wasted like <laughs> a friend of mine was like standing right next to us oh my god so we have this picture of like me and mike and quest love like with this knob creek that's that, hilarious it was pretty funny that's great nice yeah what do you collect uh i used to collect records like crazy i, I ended up getting rid of about three quarters of my collection when i moved to new york mm-hmm. um so now I've kind of like, I've scaled back a lot on stuff. You know, I got rid of a lot of my sneakers, got rid of a yeah. lot, you know, all of these childhood obsessions. I kind of like, all right, do I need all this? Probably not. So, For sure. But records were, I mean, I had, I had like 50 crates of records at one yeah. point. Was there a purchase like that when you first started making some money that like. <laughs> that I just blew it? Yeah. Um, no, I've always been pretty good about yeah. like, I never. Um, I never was just like, I'm going to go, you know, spend a bunch of money on something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've spent plenty of money on records over the years. Sure. Um, but what about yeah. something like, I, like something that like you wanted as a kid and you just couldn't get it and then you went and got it as an adult? Yeah. No, I don't have any, like, I never like, like I'm going to go get like the platinum chain or anything, you know, right. like I never did anything like that. I'm, okay. I'm kind of low key. Like I'm not really flashy. So yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's funny yeah i bought like some like i mean they're, they're the worst like some, like some winos right that are just i mean they're like 20 dollars, but it was just like you know I, it was just a childhood memory and like i don't want them anymore right. but i just wanted to go get them i guess i've done stuff like that like where you just like yeah like i definitely bought like a members only jacket at one point <laughs> like within the last five years <laughs> i was okay. just like that'd be crazy to have that right and, yeah, that's uh, right. I think that, I wore it like twice. That was not bad. Yeah. So uh, we talked about books a little bit. What are you reading now? Uh, I'm kind of going back over a couple of things. Uh, Influence, uh-huh. Robert Cialdini. Yeah. I've, I'm, that one's good. I'm reading back over that. Um, there's one on, uh, on uh, the one on like raising your child to think with both sides of the brain. Oh, I'm which reading. one is that? I can't remember what it's called, mm. but. Um, it's kind of interesting. Like mm-hmm. it just kind of, so you can describe the right and left side of your brain to your child. And so they can understand 
and how to deal with them if they're just throwing a fit. Like, just it's it's kind of helpful information. Nice. Um, yeah, so, I'm gonna hit you up for that. My yeah, child, I'll I'll send it to my you. My son throws fits on oh, the regular. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How of old? Because he how, gets away with it. He's how seven. old is he? Seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the advice that it gives is to just. Because like a lot of people who are more analytical will will kind of be like, well, you're throwing a fit over nothing. Right. Like, sure. It's kind of to sit down and and vocalize like what the problem is and mm-hmm. be understanding of what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. why are you really upset? Mm-hmm. And uh, talking through it. And mm-hmm. that was one of the kind of pieces of advice. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, I'll send it to you. That's good. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite parenting book is Parenting Without Power Struggles. Mm. And I've kind of become, you know, I've gotten to know the author a little bit. And it's like, it's really good stuff. But she talks about the same kind of thing. She's like, instead of come at your child, come alongside them. Yeah, yeah. Try to work with them. Yeah. I do something that doesn't work all the time. But, uh, well, I guess nothing works all the time. Right. But like, you know, I'll sometimes go like, hey, you seem upset. Are you, are you mad at me? Or is it like situation... And it just forces him to like come out of that for a second, right? And think about it. And sometimes he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm not mad at you." Like, okay, well, you're kind of talking like you are, so right. Pay attention to that. Yeah, you that's know? good. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes <clears throat> he's too far gone or whatever. Just to be aware. You yeah, know? Um, absolutely. It's 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 funny. I was never really a reader, mm-hmm. and like I said, when I started, when I read that mindset book, that kind of changed me. Like in high school and stuff, I never even read a book. Yeah. yeah. I, I just kind of got through it, and yeah. even college, like I finally had to read stuff. But yeah, that was forced. No, same here. Yeah, yeah. But now yeah. I really enjoy it. What movie do you think you've seen the most? Mm, the most, maybe like The Jerk. <laughs> nice. I love that movie. Love that movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, if if I'm gonna sit and watch a movie, I like to laugh. Like I, I enjoy comedies. Um, yeah. I mean. I'll like I'll enjoy a good drama every once in a while, but I'll usually ninety percent of the time I'm watching comedies. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is, but well, I've noticed like I have this really long Netflix queue, and it's like a lot of great serious movies that I know are going to be awesome, <laughs> but I'm just never in the mood. Yeah, for you got to be in the mood for that. Like, and like whenever, like if you're really just trying to like relax and like let go of whatever's going on in life, like comedy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and usually that's like at the end of the day. Yeah, that's the mood. It's hard to like watch sure. something serious and depressing and uh, go to yeah. sleep on that note. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, our last one is always um, the toughest. No, maybe not. Who's your Who's your favorite DJ? Uh, I mean, I guess just rocking a party. I would say, Jazzy Jeff. Um, I like the way he really is able to to utilize a lot of different genres and and cut where people don't even like who don't know Mm -hmm. don't even realize what he's doing yeah um but you know when i was in new york like i was kind of lucky enough to be around the executioners guys and you know evil d and Mm -hmm. just like a lot of amazing djs where i'm just like these guys are friends of mine and like what they do is ridiculous like like total eclipse and i did a, a monthly in brooklyn and like he would get on and his beat juggles were so crazy. I was just mm-hmm. like, how do you even get to that point? You know, yeah. like you have to practice for eight hours a day for 10 plus years. And for sure. that's what those guys did. Um, so it was incredible just seeing it. Like where I was just like, I've been DJing for 
15 years at the time. And I'm like, I'm not even a DJ after right. this, you know? Yeah. So it was it was just cool seeing it from that perspective. But Absolutely. Yeah, I'll say Jazzy Jeff was just like overall just rocking the party is incredible. Nice. How about you? Yeah, Jeff is always the man for me. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of DJs that I love. Yeah. You know, Z Trip to, you know, cats like Adam 12, mm-hmm. who just like always play the next thing I want to hear before right. I knew it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but Jeff, like, to me is the pinnacle of like um, the right songs and the right mix. And it's playful enough. He's got enough like scratching and, and messing around yeah. to remind you like how dope he is. But he's. <laughs> right. But it's also not, like I love watching turntablists, but that's a different experience. It totally like is. it's a, it's it's definitely watching, you know, or or like, you know, you're fully engaged in what they're doing as opposed to like partying. Yeah, and that's that's like the dinosaur now. Like turntablists, it's they have to be able to like rock a party now. For sure, it's kind of yeah. sad, you know. You see all the work that these guys have put in over the years. It's mm-hmm. like now. You know they're replaced by someone who's doing it for fifty dollars. Like, I'll DJ for you with yeah. your little laptop, and you know, that's kind of depressing. But yeah, but I think that's the nature of, I think that's the nature of everything, right? Whether it's art or technology or, or whatever, right? Is that, um, you know, or or building a car, right? Right? It's like you're, you have to demonstrate what's special about the way you do it, or you're gonna be replaced. Speaking of how crazy is Uber, like to me is like that that company is is so crazy because they built their company on allowing people to like create jobs through driving, mm-hmm. and now they're like we're just gonna have a bunch of cars yeah, they that drive themselves. With, sure, but they built the company because people were willing to go drive for them. Well, I think they have a really deep understanding it's funny like if you follow the startup world at all there's all this there's this whole business model that's like you're going to be the uber of whatever thing right and i've met a bunch of those companies and i always tell those people like you're not the uber (laughs) because you don't understand what uber really was right like uber uh, i was talking about this with lee yesterday like before uber x like uber was giving limo rides to people that couldn't afford limos Mm -hmm. and everybody you know whether you saw it in big or at the prom or whatever, like riding a limo has this, you know, sex appeal to it, right? That right. that just driving from A to B doesn't, right? And and so you you had that, plus you had people can drink as much as they want and not worry about it, right? And like just those two alone, is like that's a game changer. And then now on top of that, we've added convenience and speed and low cost, right? Like you can get a car in the cities where, like in San Francisco where cabs were just terrible. Right. Or, you know, like there's all these things and it's like, you know, your shitty like dry cleaning app is not that. You know what I mean? Like, no offense to all the great dry cleaners, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, but, but they understand their business, which is getting people from place to place in a way that's fun, fast, and cheap. I don't yeah. know if they would say it that way, but like, to me, that's what Uber is, right. and so they don't give a shit about those drivers. Like, good for the ones who made some extra money while it lasted, but that's not the business. They're but not they in did the business. Help them build the business for right? sure. They built it on their back. Yeah, and some of those will drive, you know, dry cleaning businesses, <laughs> right. you know, now or whatever, right? Like, I'm, but but I'm just saying, like, they didn't go into that business 
in order to solve the problem of all these people who had cars and no one to drive them around. And, yeah. You know what I mean? But it has it's been great for a lot of artists. I mean, everyone in L.A. who, dri- who drives me is like a DJ or is that a right? or an, That's funny. You know, an actor like, yeah, who needs yeah. a little extra money. So yeah. it's great that it can yeah, work yeah. both ways. Well, L.A. is like a unique place where, um, where, you know, being a waiter is a pretty good job. Right. Right. And you have you have because, you know, it's really flexible on hours and people that are trying to get their artistic careers off can, you know, make money yeah. in the process. Yeah. You know, and Uber is the same thing, whatever. Yeah. Um, I know I have friends who's like their parents are driving Ubers and they don't need the money. It's just like get out of the house and meet some people and like not, you know, not be sitting on the couch all day, whatever. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've started hearing those stories a little bit. Yeah. Huh. Funny stuff. Well, dude, thanks for doing this, man. This yeah, is a lot of fun. Thanks so much. It was cool. Yeah. How does everybody find you online? Uh, there's focusnoise.com. You could, I'm on Twitter. It's generic. It's G-E-N underscore E-R-I-K. And I think Instagram's the same. Um, I mean, I could give my email. It's just eric at focusnoise.com. Is there one of those channels that you're most active on? Uh, I'm actually active on Facebook, but okay. you could probably find me on there too. Yeah. There's Focus Noise on Facebook. Cool. You got some great stories. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yo, I hope you enjoyed that, my man, Eric Abel. I thought he has some great stories for us. Let us know what you think. Give us one of those five-star reviews on iTunes. We need it. Hit us on Twitter, at Rebel Radio Net. Find us on Facebook and watch our new YouTube page, Most importantly, come back next week for more. Peace.